You know what? I'm going to pray for us, too, that we, we will listen well as you preach. How's that? That'd be great. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray together. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you for Jonathan Yoder. Lord, for the ministry that you gave him for many years at the Pine Grove Church. God, thank you for the legacy and for the teaching that he has done there at that church. And Father, I pray that as he shares with us today, God, that you would use him in a mighty way. Lord, and help us to be good listeners so that we can take some of these truths and use in our life so that we can become more like Jesus. God, thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, blessed be God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who was and is and is to come. Amen. It's a blessing to be with you this morning. Thank you, Steve, for your prayer. And uh, grateful to come and to fill in for Pastor Jesse as he is away. Thank you all for coming, even though Pastor Jesse was not going to be here today. And uh, again, I'm honored to be here. I am the executive director of AMEC, the Alliance of Mennonite Evangelical Congregations, of which Waterway is a part. And Jesse is is the president, the chairman of the executive committee. And so he is my boss. So I work for Jesse, and uh, we have a wonderful time, wonderful relationship together, and Lana helps out with some things administratively uh, here in the church office here, and we're blessed by her uh, involvement as well. And so I work to keep both Jesse and Lana happy, and, uh, and so far, so good. Um, I was at Pine Grove from a, in Bowmansville, Pennsylvania, Eastern Lancashire County for almost 19 years. Stepped away three years ago. This fact, three years ago, this Tuesday was my last day at the church. And I transitioned into uh, being the executive director of AMEC, a part-time basis. And then also I do some uh, pastoral care for the church. The new pastor asked me to stay on as visitation pastor, again, part-time. And so I do uh, some of that this week. We'll be doing a funeral on Friday for one of our members who passed away this last week at the age of 98. And so I keep in touch uh, with, with our older members. And then uh, I also do some hospice chaplaincy uh, for a hospice in Reading. Uh, it's per diem. And then I also, during this season of the, of the year, I am a basketball referee. And... Uh, I just did the uh, Solenko girls varsity game at Ephrata this past Thursday night. I refereed that game. And uh, I believe I have one game left this year, a girls varsity game at Octorera, I think a week after next, um, and uh, enjoy uh, doing that. Um, it gives me good exercise. And uh, so far, no one's told me to get new glasses, so I think I'll continue on uh, and, uh, and do it. My wife, Susan, is with me today. Susan, would you please stand? She's been here before, but I just want to introduce her again. She's my better half, uh, 47 years, uh, going on 48. And she, uh, has concluded, she has been our preschool director at Pine Grove Preschool. We started preschool there uh, in 2013 when we did the addition to the church. We live in Denver, which is just a few miles from Bowmansville. We're Eastern Lancaster County. And uh, 
But she is stepping down at, in July 1 of this year. She's going to be leaving that. She feels that 10 years has been long enough. She'd like to do some other things. She'd like to sleep past 6 o'clock in the morning, and she'd like to clean out the closets in her house. And, uh, but I'm going to keep working because I have to keep supporting her in the manner to which she is accustomed. <laughs> so I am not stepping down. Well, Jesse said I could speak whatever I want today. By the way, oh, I guess there is, I do want to mention, there is a game today, isn't there? There are two games, but one that's really, really important, I understand. And uh, so, how many here today are rooting for the Eagles? <laughs> how many here today are rooting for the 49ers? No one? No one wants to admit it. How many don't care? Ah, <laughs> uh, here you go, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I've done that already on Super, on Super Bowl Sunday at the church and said, who's going to root for this team and that team? How many don't care? And there's usually more people that don't care than, uh, than are rooting for various teams. So uh, anyway, but uh, enjoy the game. The service will be over before the game starts, so be sure <laughs> of that, and we'll be, uh, <clears throat> be on our way. But Jesse said that uh, I could speak on whatever I would like to today. Uh, he did say, you're talking, your theme right now is on the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to speak today, not necessarily on that theme, although it, what I'm speaking on relates to that theme, because I'm going to speak on the authority and, and the word of God and how to be blessed by God and when it comes to, again, his word. Because if we're going to be kingdom people and live... Uh, under his uh, rule and authority, we need to have directions, and he's given to us those directives in uh, his word. So we're going to talk today about how to be blessed by God. And again, it is a blessing to be here and to be with you here at Waterway. We do uh, appreciate what God is doing here. It's great to see all of you be present, and we just pray again God's blessing upon you. And we're going to learn today how that can happen. How you can be blessed by God as a congregation and as individual believers. You see, one of the phrases we use at times in conversation is we say to someone, God bless you. God bless you. What do we mean when we say that? Uh, you know, what are we trying to communicate? Well, it's something that's positive in nature. We want God's blessing to be upon you, but what does that mean? By the way, sometimes we say, when someone sneezes, we say what? Bless you. Where did that come from? Actually, it came from the time of the back several centuries ago where they had the bubonic plague in Europe, and, the, and they were people, the, the uh, people were dying of that plague, and the uh, physical, one of the physical manifestations that had the plague was you, would you would sneeze. That was a symptom of the, having the plague, was sneezing. And, and so the Pope at that time coined the phrase, bless you, or God bless you, when you sneezed as kind of a prayer that maybe God would provide healing for you if you would say those words, because again, that was a deadly plague, and sneezing was a symptom that you had the plague. Well, I don't think we're thinking about that when we say God bless you. And certainly the word blessing 
It is used in the scripture. And the word blessing means, when we say God bless you, the word blessing means favor. It, uh, the Greek word translated blessing is or the word from which we get our English word eulogy, to speak well of. When you go to memorial service, you go to a funeral, there are those that will get up and eulogize the one who has passed. They will speak well of that person and uh, speak positively of them. And so when we talk about the word blessing, and the word blessing is used in the scripture, it speaks of, again, favor. It speaks of well-being. And so when we say God bless you, we want God's favor to be upon you. Um, we want uh, uh, God's best to be with you. But how does that happen? It doesn't just come because necessarily we say that. Nothing wrong with saying God bless you to someone. But sometimes we just kind of use it as a statement. I mean, probably haven't even thought a whole lot about what it means. We just, because we know it's a nice thing to say. As Christians to others to say, God bless you. God be with you. Favor be upon you. It's kind of what we're saying. But how does that play out practically, and how can we really be blessed? Well, today we're going to look at a verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 3. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 1 and verse 3. And here we see that God's people are blessed by keeping God's word. God's people are blessed by keeping God's word. I mean, all of us, I think, would desire God's blessing upon our lives. We want his favor to be upon us. We want to experience his blessing individually, as families, and as a church, as a congregation. How does that happen? And what does it mean? We talk about blessing and God's blessing upon us. One of the ways that we experience that is by keeping his word. The book of Revelation... Chapter 1 and verse 3, we read these words. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Do you want God to bless you as an individual believer and as a congregation? Do you want God's favor to be upon you? Do you want to experience God's favor in your life? Then do the following. First of all, the blessing of reading. And by the way, the word blessed goes back to, you know, think of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who do this or that, that Jesus gave. In the book of Revelation, there are several blessings. And... Uh, Beatitudes, and it's an interesting study as you look at the book of Revelation as well as back in Matthew. But we're looking on this blessing today. This is one of the blessings, one of the Beatitudes found in the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And I'm using the uh, ESV uh, uh, translation this morning. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, this referred primarily to those back in that day 
the, who would go from church to church, congregation to congregation, and read what had been written. They didn't have Bibles like we have today. And so even in, when Paul's letters were written and Peter's and, and all the other epistles and the uh, documents of the New Testament, the scriptures, when they had been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you would have readers who would go from place to place. The congregation would gather and the reader would come and read aloud what had been written. And so the people would sit as you are this morning and hear aloud the word of God. Uh, and so these, they were the, we called, they called them lectors who went from church to church and did this. Now today we have Bibles that we can use and we have in our own personal possessions and we can read it anytime we want to. But I want to say by way of application there is something meaningful about the reading aloud of the scriptures. We did it this morning. It's part of our worship. There's something captivating about that. Something just kind of just takes it to another level. It kind of even kind of helps with our attention even more. You know, sometimes when we just read it silently, and it's good to read it, and it's saying for in our own personal lives, but you know, kind of our mind can wander a bit. And when you hear it aloud, you know, I, I, I spoke to someone recently. He said to me, he's, uh, he's up in years, and he said, you know, I've been reading the Revelation. I read that about reading aloud. And so in my own personal devotional life, I am reading the Scripture aloud instead of just reading it quietly. But when I read it to myself, I'm reading it aloud. And he says, it's amazing. What a difference that makes. And so, again, there's a blessing. God blesses us who read aloud, but who read the Scriptures. And when you gather together and you have the public reading of Scripture, that is a valuable time of worship. It's not just a filler. The Scripture says, uh, uh, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture. And even though we have it, and we can read it every day, and, we, and it's good to read it every day in our own personal lives, gathering together and hearing the Word of God read aloud, there's a blessing in that and the one who reads aloud is blessed. So those who lead in the reading of Scripture was done this morning. That's a blessing. We never want to take that for granted. And secondly, you have the blessing of hearing. <clears throat> Blessed are those who hear. This refers to the assembled reader, uh, audience in the local church. Uh, believers gathered to hear the word of God, to listen to God's word read, and uh, <clears throat> to listen to the proclamation of the scripture. Uh, one of the challenges that we face is to listen. Steve didn't know I was going to do this, but this morning when he prayed for me, he prayed that you all would be what? Good listeners. It's hard to listen. It takes work to listen. What does my dear wife say to me once in a while? You're not listening to me, you know. Am I, I'm looking at her, she's talking, but she could tell my mind is somewhere else. 
You're not listening. What is the, one of the major complaints when it comes to marital conflict? He or she does not listen to me. Yeah. You try this at home today, if you're married. Take your spouse and uh, put out two chairs facing each other. Sit facing each other as husband and wife. And one of you speak 12 words. And then the other person repeat what you just said, word for word. You try that. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Hard to really listen and to really hear. Our, t- our minds tend to wander. There's all kinds of things in our minds. I mean, if we had a screen up here now and all your thoughts of everybody here were on that screen at one time, what would, you, what would we see here? I'm sure there's a few people thinking about the game this afternoon. All right? By the way, I want to tell you something about the game. It's my, what my mother told me. I learned from my mother. She was a very wise woman. We would get all talking about games and all that, and she would say, you know what? One team's going to win, and one team's going to lose. And you know, that's true. I can tell you. I, I can tell you that's going to happen this afternoon, all right? And one team's going to win, one team's going to lose. But to listen. God blesses those who hear his word. I mean, how can we obey it if we haven't heard it? Hearing is not only listening to someone sharing God's word, but also as we read his word, as we listen to the voice of the Spirit, as he teaches us his word, ministers to us, we have the Spirit within us. We have all the resources we need. We just need to be hearing. So there's a blessing to hearing God's word. And then thirdly, there's a blessing comes in keeping his word. Blessed are those who keep what is written in it. The book of James says, let us uh, not just be hearers of the word, but we're to be what? Doers of the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Blessed are those who take God's word to heart, who keep it and obey it. And uh, there are two parts to the keeping of God's Word that I want to focus on yet this morning. The first part has to do with authority. If we're going to keep God's Word, we must believe it has divine authority. That it comes from God. That He has the power and the right to establish laws, to govern the universe, to make decisions, to be in control. And God is the highest authority. And He's in charge And what he says is true, and it is to be uh, believed and trusted in and committed to. But here is the challenge. The challenge comes in really committing to that. At our recent AMAC biannual conference, we had Josh McDowell as our keynote speaker. And in the course of the session where he talked about the uh, authenticity of the Scriptures... He asked one of the younger men, he had a couple of younger men with him who help him out and who also speak on behalf of Josh McDowell's ministries. They're probably late 20s, early 30s, they were there. And so he said, Austin, what is the number one issue 
As you go about today, as you go out speaking to young people at college campuses and all of that, what's the number one issue the younger generation has today with the Word of God? And without hesitation, Austin answered this way, the number one issue they have with the Word of God is the issue of being authoritative, that it has authority. That's the number one issue. They have a hard time believing it's authoritative. But I don't know that that's just a young generation issue. I wonder sometimes, even with all ages, I think it's always been a challenge. That the Word of God is our authority. We say in our doctrinal statements, we say in our creedal statements, that the Word of God is our authority for faith and practice. That's what we say we believe. And we're so challenged in this. Why are we challenged? And why would even, again, of all the things that uh, Austin could have said, of all the reasons he could have said people struggle with the Word of God today, he works with younger people, number one was authority. That's authority. It has authority. I think there's some reasons for this. And I think sometimes it's because of some reaction, overreaction to some of the things that we may face. One of the problems when it comes to the authority, embracing the authority of the scripture, is that we kind of confuse authority with authoritarianism. We need to understand that they're, they're different, but we can confuse them. Authoritarianism is the, and it can be done <laughs> in, in a church. The setting where the pastor, the leader, has total control over the people. It's like a cult. And we hear about that today. And we may even experience it in authoritarianism where you have one man uh, kind of controls everything. The pastor, the bishop, whatever, and what he says goes. When it comes to the rules and how you live and all of that and all the minutiae, and there's control, there's a... There's a a authoritarianism, kind of they, uh, they have total, total say in your life and what you do and what you don't do. And many, many of the things that, have, uh, that are uh, tertiary in nature when it comes to faith. And so we've had that. In fact, it's such an issue that there's been a book written just recently published by Michael Kruger titled The Bully Pulpit. The Bully Pulpit. And it's dealing with the issue of spiritual abuse in the church. And it happens. It happens in our country. It happens in places. And I'm not saying it happens here. I'm saying it happens in places. It's around. And it's been around. That's not what we're talking about. We talk about the authority of the Scripture. We're not talking about authoritarianism. We're not talking about, again... You just kind of have to button it up and uh, you toe the line. And someone else tells you how to live and everything and all the decisions you make and everything has total control over your life. That's abusive. It can be abusive. We're not talking about that when we talk about authority. But that's one of the issues we sometimes mix it up. The second issue sometimes we have with, is just simply understanding the word authority. We tend to think that that word authority is kind of like if I say, we believe in the authority of the Scriptures. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh. What do you think? It's a little, you know, something harsh or strong. Or maybe it's, 
You know, God has the authority. He's given us his word and he's laid out these laws and they just kind of uh, keep us from having a good time. You know how it is with parents, as parents, you who are parents, you have some rules for your children. What sometimes your children say to you? You don't want us to have any fun. That's why you have these rules. You don't want us to have any fun. You don't want us to do anything that's fun. Because you're the authority and they push it back against that. So it's, it's a misunderstanding of what authority really is and how important it is and how good it is. I mean, we need authority. And we're under authority and authority is a good thing. That would be chaos. When you leave and drive home today, you leave the, the service and you go home, you got on the highway, you're going to be under authority. There's a speed limit. There's stop signs. There's traffic lights. That's all authority. Would you like to have a, a, be in a setting where there would be no speed limit? No stop signs? No traffic lights? I've been in countries of the world where that is the case. It's chaos, I'm telling you. It's dangerous. By the way, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, Belleville, small Amish Mennonite community up near State College. And uh, we have Amish there as well, lots of buggies. But anyway, uh, my wife was not from there. She was, not for, she was from the suburbs of Philadelphia. I met her in college. So I took her there when I first started dating her. I took her to introduce her to Belleville. And we went driving around the back roads of Belleville. And we came to a stop sign, and I rolled right through it. And she said, you just went through a stop sign. I said, oh, they're for the buggies only. They're not for the rest of us. <laughs> I think she believed me for about uh, 30 seconds, and then she realized, you know. But we need authority. We're all under authority. Authority's good. And just think that God has revealed himself to us through his word. He's the authority. God is doing what is, he establishes his word and his laws, his guidelines, his principles, how we are to live for our well-being. It's for our good. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Sometimes it's our attitude when it comes to authority. I hear this sometimes. No one's going to tell me what to do. Sometimes that comes out from adults. Sometimes I've heard it already in the church. They don't like something going, well, no one's going to tell me what to do. What do you mean no one's going to tell you what to do? How did you ever find Jesus? Because the Bible tells us, God says through his word that we are sinners and we are fallen and we need a savior. And uh, Jesus is that Savior. And unless we accept Jesus as our Savior and experience and, and, and uh, receive his gift of grace by acknowledging our sin and need of a Savior, we're lost forever. Unless you repent, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. Oh. And you're telling me that no one tells you what to do? I hope not. I hope not. And in the church, you know, the word of God speaks very clearly about how the church is to function. And there's authority in the leadership of the church. Not authoritarianism, but authority. 
guidance and direction. That's why how God has established it. He, there's, there's so much more I can say about that, but you know, in terms of the scripture in the New Testament, I think many times we just fail to really have a really clear understanding of uh, what it means for the whole matter because we're so afraid of the authoritarianism. We react against that, which is only right to do that. It's wrong. To, authoritarianism is wrong. It's not of scripture, but we don't want to go to the side and we throw out authority, all of it. So we say, no one tells me what to do. Blessed are those, he says here now, that keeps my word. Beginning with Revelation, and applies to all of Scripture. And you go throughout the book of Revelation, all the major teachings of the Christian faith are there. You see the holiness, you see the, the, the message of the churches. God cares about his church. We're under the authority and control of Jesus Christ. He talks about, we see a glimpse of heaven, we see the holiness of God, we see the Lamb as a lamp has been slain from the world. We see Jesus, and he has the marks of, of uh, his suffering and death, but knowing he's also been resurrected. We see that worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Throughout uh, there in the book of Revelation, we also see judgment in Revelation. Sometimes we struggle with that. It seems so harsh and so different. And, and uh, you know, it just seems so to go against what we know is God is a loving God. Listen, the God's love, God is love, it's only half the story. He's also holy. And so that judgment's going to be upon those who stand against God, who do not want to be under his authority. And then you come to the end, the new heavens and new earth. What a blessed chapter, the last couple chapters of Revelation. Where God will come and he will dwell with his people, we will dwell with him and there'll be no more sickness or sorrow or death or sin. It isn't just sickness, sorrow, and death. Also, there's no sin. Free from that. Free from temptation. And dwelling with our God forevermore. It's all there. And we're blessed if we keep it. The fourth issue I think we have here is that we say we are, own, we are our own authority. Now listen carefully. The spirit of our age today, when it comes to Faith, matters of faith, is that you believe what you want to believe. I decide what is right. I believe what I want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. We'll all get to the same place. I am my own authority. When it comes to truth, when it comes to my spirituality, I decide right from wrong. I decide what I'm going to believe. And it's my decision. I'm in control. That is very prevalent, but you know what? It's always been with us because that kind of attitude is rooted in Satan himself, who when he was the highest, one of the highest of the angels in heaven and a glorious being in eternity past, rebelled against God. What did he say? I want to be God. I want to be like him. I want to be the authority. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. And that is why he fell. And that is why we have sin. I want to be in charge. But God speaks to us through his word and says, no, <clears throat> there is objective reality. There is right from wrong. There is truth. 
And God is the authority when it comes to truth, and he's given to us in the scriptures. And we need to be very careful that we do not go into, slide into saying, I decide what I want to do. I decide right from wrong. I make the decision when it comes to truth. If we want to be blessed by God as a congregation, as individual believers, you want to experience the favor of God in your life. You want to experience the blessing of God in your life. We commit to keeping the words of this prophecy, applying it to all of the scripture. We do that as we read it, as we hear it, and above all, as we keep it as we obey it, as we live it out in our lives. And that's the application part. When we've established this as authority for life, for faith and practice, then we live it out through our lives. In all matters of faith and practice, and if we're going to do this practically, if we're going to, as we apply it to our lives, we're going to ask ourselves the question when it comes to anything we face, what does the Scripture say? What does the scripture say? Ross talked about your passion for God's word. That's what I'm talking about. What does the scripture say? You always want to focus on that question. It's not what I say. It's not, that we, it's not what the opinion polls say. It's what does the scripture say? That may sound very simple, yet it's very profound, and sometimes it's very hard to do because we get ourselves in the way what does the Word of God have to say? When it comes to church life, what does the Scripture say? When it comes to how we function, you know, sometimes we debate. You know, I hear people in the church debate, what's more important, discipleship or evangelism? What does the Scripture say? Both are important, equally important in the life of the church. To reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ and to build up believers in the life of the church and care for one another. They're both equally important. What does the scripture say? We apply God's word as we believe it's authoritative, we apply it, and then it fills our hearts. And we live it out then as we live each day in any way that we can. We show forth our commitment to keeping the word of God. This past year, I took my family to a Phillies baseball game. And uh, one, one day, and they were playing the Pirates, who I root for. They're not any good, but I root for them. I always have. And so we went to a game. By the way, the Pirates won that day because I was there. But, so, but, and we're sitting there before the game, looked down on the field, saw the umpires there at home plate before they broke up to go to their spots. All of a sudden, I see the umpires huddle together, put their arms around each other, and bow their heads. This is at a Major League Baseball game, and I'm sitting there like, what is this? I think they're praying. And my son-in-law saw it as well, and he says, I think they're praying. You know what? They were. Because I went online, and I found that the crew chief, Ted Barrett, that day, is a believer. In fact, he's an ordained Southern Baptist minister. He's a baseball umpire. I think he just retired just after this recently, but... He was there, and there's a whole ministry to umpires in the name of Jesus. And uh, he's one of the leaders of it. And they were actually praying in front of everyone before the game 
began. I pointed it out to my grandchildren, my grandsons. That was powerful. And so they were living out God's word right there. And that's what they were doing. They were under God's authority in his word. As we go today and go this week, look for opportunities. Be filled with God's spirit and be realizing you're under God's authority, God's word, and every opportunity you have, show forth the love of Christ. Show forth the message of Christ. Through your deeds and how you live, apply it. What does the scripture say? We belong to God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ and we're to be kingdom people. And we seek his kingdom first, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. So you want to be blessed by God. Yield to the authority of his word and live it and keep it as you go today and every day. Doing so in your homes as well as here at Waterway Church. Let us pray. Lord, we do seek your blessing. Help us to understand anew. The blessing comes by keeping your word. That's how you show your favor upon us. May we renew our commitment today to living under your authority. We are living in, as kingdom people to living under the authority of your word. That it is uh, our guide uh, for faith and practice and that we're committed to not only reading it and hearing it but keeping it so that as your people we will be led by your word controlled by your spirit as you teach your word that we will always uh, shape our priorities shape how we live control how we live by keeping your word. Then we will experience your blessing. So may we, may you bless this congregation as they seek to put this into practice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.